Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Minnesota Twins losing it two games to one. They are currently still in last place in the American League East and eight games out of the final wildcard spot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the Mile High City of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Duan. Andrew? What's going on, guys? Good to be back. Always fun to, you know, record after a win where JD and Xander both showed up, kind of turned back the clocks a little bit. Yeah, felt like 2018 for an hour and a half. And Very frustrating. <laughs> a little bit, but that is Job Goddard you just heard. He comes to us from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island. How's it going, Job? Well, it'd be going better if the team was better. <laughs> but, hey, we have some exciting stuff to talk about. Uh, Connor Wong was pulled from the game today in Worcester. It looks like he's going to make a trip up to Boston uh, to join the team here shortly. So the young guys are going to get some playing time. It's going to be exciting. Is Casas getting a call up? Andrew and I were talking about that the other day. He still needs some time facing lefties. Uh, his strikeout rate, I think, Andrew, you said it was 34%, right? Something like it that. It was against lefties. It's dropped a little bit, which is definitely good to see. I I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing him up at this point. Yeah, I don't think it could hurt anything. And apparently he did have a pretty good week against lefties from – I don't know if I saw it on Red Sox stats or, or what, but I mean, you're just trying to see what you have for next year and why not give them a look? Um, so before we get into studs and duds, uh, kind of a big story that came out this week uh, from Ken Rosenthal is that Sam Kennedy uh, in an interview with him uh, said that Hein Bloom and Alex Cora will be back uh, for the 2023 season, and he didn't. He wasn't exactly like definitive. He just said he was comfortable in saying that they'll be back. And um, so, like, I guess you you could just take that for face value. But uh, we had mentioned on the last show we were wondering if there could be. Um, a little bit of vulnerability. Pete Abraham last weekend had uh, an article just speculating, which we uh, which we stipulated, but um, he, he was thinking there could be a decision between Bloom and Cora uh, 
you know, possibly at season's end. So, uh, Job, let's start with you. Uh, what's your reaction? Well, I think where there's smoke, there's fire. And there's been a lot of smoke over the last couple of weeks that one, if not both, were going to lose their jobs. And I think this might be a PR spin from the higher-ups in the Red Sox organization. I wouldn't mind to see a shakeup as long as it's the right shakeup. Um, you're both aware of my opinions on the front office uh, and their decisions, and so are all our listeners. But I don't see any reason why Cora would be in the hot seat. Um, the way that this team has played, the way that he's managed this team. And frankly, the idea of firing Cora to replace him with, you know, insert option B doesn't do anything for me. I think Cora still has the ear of the important guys in the clubhouse. Those important guys include Rafael Devers, who I think is the future of the organization. Um, so I think Cora should be here and will be here for a long time. But I don't know if Sam Kennedy is saying that because that's actually how he feels or that's what he has to say to protect the brand. I mean, I think the only reason he came out and said something is because Carabas tweeted out, uh, you know, that he has a source and, you know, he got debunked pretty quickly on that one. Um, and I don't know what Pete Abe's talking about because, like, he wrote about it and then goes on TV and – bashes people for spreading the rumor about it so pda don't you know let facts get in front of a good time for you pal i like that guy is so confused on what he does professionally i don't think he's all there um so yeah i think it's an odd story i don't, I don't think you know i i don't think a billion dollar multi-billion dollar corporation is going to make too many knee-jerk decisions after just one disappointing season i mean taking 2020 out of it i don't think we really can hold too much you know water with that season you know one good one bad uh make the playoffs next year or else yeah then there's gonna be changes but i, I don't think anything's been in doubt on the last podcast uh, on, on the early week show, we kind of, you know, took a vote on whether we wanted Bloom to be back. Uh, Charlie, you know, huge Bloom critic, not quite where Joe Job is on the spectrum, but Charlie didn't want him back. Jason and I both said, you know, we feel like he should come back for one more year. My take on that was I want to see him. I want to see at least one more winter of him with a lot of flexibility put together a roster with very few constraints. We only have $91 million committed next year. So if there's a year for Bloom to put together his roster, that's committed, I mean. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nine, yeah, $91 million committed. I'm surprised it was that low when I read it, but it was in the Rosenthal article. Um, but he, he should finally be able to put together his, his team and you got Bogarts possibly coming off the books. Martinez almost definitely coming off the books. Vasquez off the books, Evaldi and Waka off the books. And then you have Kike and fam, uh, as well. 
So you're going to have to replace some of these guys at at least 80 cents on the dollar, probably Bogarts, Martinez, and then Evaldi and Waka. You're going to have to make some moves here. And this ain't a good pitching market as well. So I think Kershaw and Evaldi, I was hearing someone say those are the top two guys. So it's very thin uh, this winter, uh, if that's correct. So this is it, though. I mean, if we're out of it next year, I'll be done on Bloom. <laughs> that's just that. That's going to be a wrap for me on the four years here. Well, I've said it all along, Terry. I know that I'm considered the far end of the Bloom spectrum uh, from most most of the the show, but. If Heim Bloom comes out tomorrow and signs Rafi Devers to a, a mega extension, then he's okay in my book. Then he gets another year, no problem. Because I think this was a lost year to begin with. It sucks that it's one of the three years you have before getting taxed too heavily on the luxury tax. But it, it is what it is. And I think with serious flexibility, if you can lock in your stars before they hit free agency – like the rest of the league is doing, you're going to be more competitive. Seattle is doing it. The Padres have done it twice already. Uh, they started it with Machado, and then as soon as they had Machado, they went and got Tatis locked up for 12 years. It's happening around the league. Guys are getting locked up young and for a lot of money. Juan Soto is going to get locked up by the Padres this offseason for $490 million. And when that happens... Say goodbye to Rafi Devers because his market might not be 490, but it's a hell of a lot more than the 240 that we keep hearing. Well, I think I don't know that they're definitely going to sign him if it exceeds 400, and I still think it, it it'll be in the threes somewhere. But I think Bloom has to sign him. Ownership's going to make him. Like you don't survive that off season from a PR standpoint. If, if you don't get that done. I don't think it's, I mean, any contract that starts with a two, that's an ownership decision anyways. I mean, that the agent will talk directly to ownership. Boris, you know, always talks to ownership. He doesn't talk to the president or the GM when it comes to those high-end decisions. I mean, those just are what they are. They're franchise-altering deals that don't come down to the GM. Well, I mean, I, I don't really disagree with that. I, I think the GM is going to be the one to, to structure it and get down to all the finer details of it. But and I, I've just said, I think ownership's going to make Bloom, you know, do it anyway. You know, they're, they're the ones that are petrified of the PR, I would say, is, is ownership. No, I mean, they, you know, they probably should be in good position to do it if they want to, you know, if ownership wants to extend that $300 million deal, they'll be in position. I mean, we've seen what they managed to do with Whitlock signing him up pretty quickly. Um, I think Brian Bayo will have a similar deal extended his way. If he takes it, he takes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, I think we'll see one with Casas uh, if he, you know, shows out in the next calendar year. I could absolutely see something get done with him. So I think that they are slowly moving into position with internal options, which, you know, they haven't had in a long time that they'll be able to get under extended team control. And, you know, you can afford that one guy taking up maybe two players worth of salaries, uh, you know, just to be your cornerstone. 
It'll be interesting to see what happens with Casas if he, you know, can hit consistently and hit lefties like we were talking about a few minutes ago. But um, I, I don't think we're ever going to see like an Acuna deal again after seeing what Julio Rodriguez just got and I and Wander Franco even. Um, I, I think that's the new standard. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. And just one thing on Cora, though, uh, before we do move on, I, I'm on, I'm in a different part of the spectrum that, than Job is. I mean, because I've looked at a team all year long. You can say what you want about the pitching, but this has been a very sloppy defensive team who's not been focused and this is like even before the last month, this has been a season long thing. And I wouldn't have been shocked if they moved on from Cora. And I think Bloom at some point is going to want his own guy and he might never get that opportunity. He might be stuck with Cora for the rest of his tenure, like barring a world series win here in the next three years. I, I don't think, Bloom is going to get his guy. So there could be some behind the scenes motivators here to swap out Cora with, with someone else. And I don't, I'll agree with Job on who do you replace him with? I have no idea who that is, but when, when you look at a team that's, that's not dialed in, they're losing balls in the light. They're forgetting how many outs there are, uh, you know, tons of errors. I just feel like, there could definitely be some vulnerability there. And if we, if we've learned anything from 2022, I don't think there's going to be any hesitation on firing managers mid season uh, from here out. <laughs> Any more thoughts on. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, if you move on from Cora, I think you can kiss. Um, Xander, goodbye. Uh, I don't know how it helps you with any negotiations with Devers. So I do think there are in a little bit of a predicament with that. Um, cause you know, Cora seems to be pretty well liked uh, amongst, you know, the clubhouse and players around the league. So that's the only hesitation I'd have, uh, when it comes to making too drastic of a move. Again, I don't think Cora is in it for the extreme long haul. I don't, I still feel like he will walk away within the next few years, even if they're successful just to go be with his family. Cause I do think that means a lot to him. I mean, he's accomplished, you know, everything he needs to accomplish as a player and as a manager. I think if you take the 2017 season away, the stain of that season from Cora, he's already done managing. I think he walks away probably in, in 2019 um, to go be with his family. His daughter's obviously in college in Boston. It just makes sense to me. I think he's now managing to prove a point, and I'm okay with that. So Andrew's probably right. He's not in it for the long haul. I don't think he'd be in it for a rebuild. I think if you don't pay Rafi Devers, then Cora's probably not interested in managing this team. Well, one more thing to consider as well. How happy-go-lucky is he going to be next year if he has a bad bullpen again? Oh, he'll be furious. So I just think that that could lead to him not being here. 
you know, a situation like that. So, Alex, if you're listening, um, you <laughs> he might be. Call me or, or text me your answer to whether or not you're leaving. Um, <laughs> Alex, Alex has my digits, so. All right. He followed me on Twitter for like a couple of months. I, I think I've said this story before, but I wrote for Fansided. I wrote an article like maybe a week after the initial scandal articles came out on the Astros. And I said, well, if Cora played a big role in this, he should be fired. And uh, it was the number two trending article on Google for like a day and a half. And then he followed me that day and uh continued to follow me until um i think it was a week or two after he did get fired so for at least five minutes he he knew who i was sounds like sounds like he was waiting for you to break the news that he had lost his job (laughs) yeah i actually wrote i thought i wrote two articles on it too the second one wasn't as big but yeah. Anyway, all right, let's get into studs and duds. We will start on the duds side of it. Job, you're leading off. Who do you have? Uh, Bobby, Bobby Strikeout Dahlbeck is my dud for the series. 0 for 4 again tonight. At this point, if there are any Bobby Dahlbeck defenders out there, I want to hear from you. Like, I know all, everyone who listens to the show messages charlie for some reason but if you do like bobby dahlbeck i want to know why like like, please reach out to me and and tell me why i'm the idiot for thinking this guy can't play in the big leagues anymore it's it's frustrating to watch i'm i'm out on bobby dahlbeck even if tristan casas comes up and he sucks i won't hate him as much as i hate bobby dahlbeck Yeah, he definitely had his struggles with the plate tonight after a, actually a pretty solid first at bat that he lo- ended up, you know, losing the battle. I think after nine pitches, which sucked to see. But uh, yeah, he's completely overmatched right now. Um, I think if Hosmer didn't get hurt, um, he probably wouldn't be around right now. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I will say he did have a couple really nice defensive plays, which was pretty refreshing to see. Uh, but I want I don't know. I, I think maybe his uh, counterpart across the diamond might've been a little bit more deserving um, of a, of the dud spot here. You're talking about Devers who was Oh, four 11 uh, did somehow drive in a run uh, game two, probably on a sack fly. Um yeah, and you know, Devers has been terrible. I meant to mention this uh, earlier. I talked about it on the last show. Yeah, oh, you, you did. I mean, we, we've been bringing him up, but I'm just wondering if this could impact uh, some of the negotiations. Like, I mean, it's not going to knock him down a, a notch on the pay scale, but maybe, maybe it'll uh, make him a little bit more willing to negotiate. Well, can I, you know, off of that, let me point something out to everyone, I think. I think it's pretty clear that hitting coach probably won't be back next year. We're probably going to go a different direction with the pitching coach as well. I think that there's going to be some serious changes on the coaching staff beyond Alex Cora, regardless of whether or not Heim Bloom stays or goes. I don't disagree with that. Um, 
I think Dave Bush is probably a little bit more vulnerable than Peter Fatse, but if they, they, it wouldn't shock me if they were both canned at the end. Our our bullpen last I checked was ranked twenty sixth out of thirty. I mean that's that's pretty. I think bad. it's gotten worse. I think we're we're, we're down to twenty eighth. <laughs> yeah, we could be. I I might have a reliever as my dud, but uh, let's get to Andrew now. Uh, you're dud for the series. So this is a little bit different. Um, this has to do with the Duran article. Heavy. What? The Duran article. Yeah. Okay. The Chris Cotillo article earlier, and just you know the reactions to it from the fan base. Uh, it was pretty disgusting to read a lot of the comments under there. You know, on a guy that was pretty much opening up for the first time in his life about his mental struggles and how much everything's affecting him, how he can't even talk to his family at this point. And the fans are like, well, you fucking suck. So you deserve it. Go apply to market bath. It's like, dude, shut up. It's a human being. Like, I, I don't want to see that. Like, obviously we Raz players and pro, you know, but the level of vitriol he was facing because, you know, they, had this Grady Sizemore image of him coming through when, you know, this, we're not talking about a top five pick, you know, we're talking about a seventh rounder. The Red Sox have only had four seventh rounders since 1965 that have a war above 0.0 and only one of them has a war, a war above two. So, you know, he kind of defied the odds. He had a lot of expectations, probably unfairly, set on to him and now fans are just completely destroying him in a piece that is just asking for some compassion and Gatillo is going back and forth with these people. He doesn't usually interact like this. He's pretty much calling people out about how terrible they're being in this situation. And it, it's just sad to see. Uh, I don't, people don't have to react like it. it's, it's a freaking game. And earlier today, we also had a John wall article came out where he talked about, you know, he was contemplating suicide after his injury that sidelined him, and then he had some personal stuff come up. The You know, you play with them in video games, but it doesn't mean that these aren't real people. Uh, I it, It's just an absolute shame what's going on in that. And Duran, you know, he caught heat for the when he called out the fans, and he apologized for that in the article, said it was his biggest mistake. He's young. I, I just he deserves the empathy and at least some human decency and respect. A- absolutely. I mean that's that goes without saying. And I mean I, I don't think he's ready for the big leagues, right? I don't think that that's got anything to do with or should have anything to do with how you treat him, right? And it's different to boo a player on the field than it is to actively criticize a player as a person beyond the fact that they're athletes, they're also people. It seems to me like he's going through something very similar to what Joey Gallo was going through in New York. And that might be it for, for Duran and Boston for the season, as far as his ability to focus and contribute just because of what he's going through. 
And, you know, it, it's okay to struggle. It's very brave of him to come out and say that. Um, but it it's unfortunate and sad the way that people are treating him. Well, I guess I'm going to be the more savage of the three of us. I wasn't on. I saw the shenanigans going around on the Catillo thread, and I, I didn't partake in that. But but when I hear those types of comments from Duran, all I'm hearing is a guy who's not really fit for Boston. And, Job, you mentioned Joey Gallo in New York. Uh, I think a, another Boston example could be Andrew Benintendi going from here to the Royals. He just, he needed, he needed a change. And unfortunately for Duran, he's a below average offensive player and a below average defensive player. He really doesn't have much value to a team. I mean, could he develop a little bit more, at least defensively? Maybe, but he doesn't have a great arm. I mean, I think his, if another team needs a 2004 Dave Roberts, that might be his his real, you know, his real strong suit. Um, so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bash him. The only time I really did bash him was that Kansas City game when he lost a couple of balls uh, in the sun and um, runs got scored. And at that point, we weren't really out of it necessarily. Um, so it was an especially frustrating series to watch, but he'll uh, go down to Pawtucket. Maybe I don't know if he'll play some fall baseball this year uh, in Arizona or whatnot. I'm sure he'll play in the WBC, um, you know, over the winter. But um, he's uh, I, I don't think Boston is is the place for him <laughs> based on what we've been hearing. I, I don't know. I, I guess I just disagree with that whole, like, you're not cut out for a city when all it takes, it's just a weird badge of honor that some of those towns, you know, show. It's like, yeah, we treat them like crap. Well, Will Middlebrooks um, said, uh, I think it was probably during his, his final year here that he had to stay off social media because it was getting to him. Like and Twitter, no one deserves to live like that, though. <laughs> I know I'm not saying the fans are, are wrong, but it's it, it's a I mean, the fans are wrong, excuse me. I'm not saying they're right. Um, but it's it's a savage fan base, and it's 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 a fan base that expects a lot. And Andrew, you say we're spoiled, and and we are to a degree. I can't disagree with that, but but it's just we've seen people come to Boston and just not be able to handle it. Carl Crawford is a fairly recent example. Mark Melanson. I thought that was a great pickup that year. Dude just got lit up, you know, for two months and then we got rid of him. Um, David price did not handle Boston very well from a, from a PR standpoint. Um, so I just, it's just one of those markets. Philly is the same way. New York, obviously very similar. Um, I, I can't really think of another one off the top of my head, but but I just his his best interest is probably playing for someone else. I would say, and I'm not rooting against him either. If if he proves me wrong and has a has a solid year next year, then more power to him. I'm, I'm not going to root against him, but I just hope there's not going to be a lot of plans that are 
heavily revolving around him like JBJ this year. Well, I mean, people were treating Duran because of his speed and, you know, the things that he does well, like he was the second coming of a young Jacoby Ellsbury. It's just not the player that he is. And yeah, you're probably right, Terry. There are some expectations in Boston that don't exist in other markets. That's a fact. But athletes are still people. So he probably does need another start somewhere else. I think it's probably taken a serious toll. I just hope that for his, you know, his sake, he finds a way to make peace with, with himself. And, and another thing I, I've been hammering on a lot is I, I've questioned the team's toughness, you know, their mental toughness. And you have a guy like Schwarber come in last year and he kind of is that tough guy that we needed. Uh, you know, and I think we need we need more personalities like that. I mean, Xander to me is, if you're talking about him from a pure leadership standpoint, extremely soft. He's not going to be that rah rah guy that runs around and fires everyone up like a Nolan Arenado or Chris Sale pre, you know, Alex Cora. I just so. I'd just like to see a few more of those guys. That's one of the reasons I would have loved uh, Nick Castellanos. I know that it's, I don't know if he's even a net negative over Duran, but um, defensively, I mean, but, but I hope we target a, a few of those guys. But all right. Anyway, so I'll I'll go to my guy. Uh, I have to go with Ryan Brazier. Doof served up a grand slam. I feel like he gives away a lot of those, at least probably two or three per season. And he does typically, for whatever reason, come in with runners on. So that makes him a little bit more prone to it. But this dude is cooked. This dude is completely cooked. And I... I guess I'm not shocked he didn't get DFA'd after the game because we're on the road. I think I'd be a little surprised if a roster move doesn't happen uh, at some point uh, tomorrow when they come back to Boston. A lot of people are are clamoring for uh, Frank German to come up and see what he might be able to give us for next year. There's got to be someone else down on the farm, even if you don't want to go with German, that can at least not get destroyed out there. He got knocked around uh, at least one game in the last series against Tampa. Uh, Game one, he gave up four earned runs on three hits. And there's a list of guys I don't want to see back next year. He's probably in the top two on that list. Joe? I think he's on my list as well. Um, there's there's a lot of guys on my list, but <laughs> he, he's right there at the top. So Dahlbeck's uh, number one. Da- Dahlbeck is one, two, and three, um, but there are other guys on there too. If, if we can get away with not having Dahlbeck and Cordero playing any games in the first half next year – we probably had a pretty good off season. Um, I, I think that's probably a little bit unrealistic, but 
Um, but out of the bullpen, I don't want Barnes and Brazier back. I want that era to end. Like this, the first three years of this Heim Bloom era haven't been great. And Bobby Dahlbeck and uh, Matt Barnes are the two faces of it for me. <laughs> and I just want to see them gone. Andrew, thoughts? Yeah, so I was saying this on Twitter, Twitter, I think last night, all the Brazier days kind of just run together now. Um, I'm thinking at this point that the reason Ryan Brazier is still on this roster is to appease Alex Cora. I mean, we know he's a vet heavy guy. It's not like Brazier was one of Bloom's pickups. I, I really do think that uh, Alex Cora wants him on his roster still. Cause I mean, if anyone's getting public pressure, it's high and bloom. And like, you know, Job said in the obvious pick, you could pick up Frank German. How did they get Frank German by fleecing the Yankees? Like, you know, why would they not bring that up? So I, I think that, you know, we saw Salamar go down the other day. I think that was, you know, the one of the vets that Bloom got his way. You know, we're getting rid of him. Um, I, I really think Alex Moore is just riding with his vets at this point. And I don't know how much longer he's going to get his way. I think that we will see the page turned on him pretty quickly because there's a few guys that they could, you know, easily bring up at this point from Worcester. Frank German's got two fifty-five plus secondary pitches. I I just I'm not too sure why it hasn't ha- happened yet. And the my theory is Alex Cora is forcing um, the hand to still have the vet. I don't know about that. Uh, I I like the take. I think Cora definitely has a certain amount of input. And if he didn't want him here, he wouldn't be here. But I don't know if he has the power to to keep him here. And I think at a certain point, it might be him protecting vets, but at a certain point, he just needs guys that he knows are at least going to give him effort and innings. And Brazier, for as much as he sucks, is going to give you innings. He'll pitch when you want him to. And frankly, there's not that many guys on this team that you can give the ball to and trust they're not going to give up six rounds. Um, at least Brazier seems to in- allow inherited runners, maybe one or two runs, and then Cora goes and gets him. But I don't know. I- I'm so done with almost everybody in the bullpen. Like st- the team, you said 91 million, Terry, is what they have committed for next year. Yeah. That's over Devers, I- Whitlock, I- Barnes is about half of that, and Sale. So. Everybody else on this team, is, everyone else that's left on the roster is pretty cheap. I, I think they could strip it down to the bare st- studs and, and start over. I believe the number is they have $90 million to spend. Uh, that would make a lot more sense. Okay. That's what I know Sox prospects and uh, Red Sox payroll have been talking about the last couple of days. I can pull it up real quick, but who do we have besides Chris Sale that's, you know – Got a decent sized contract. I mean, Devers will be close to 20. Uh, then you have, you know, all the arbitration guys. Uh, those will definitely take a hit here. I can pull it up. 
I mean, you got Trevor's story. Oh, story. Yeah. Yeah. I did forget about him. Yeah. I got the article right here. Where is it? Because that was. Uh, I mean, I think under yeah. contract, right? We've got uh, McGuire, Sale. Cheap money, though. I'm just saying, uh, under contract through next season, we have McGuire, Sale, Devers, a bunch of crap, Trevor Story, Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Houck. Houck is under a million, I think. And and Nick Pavetta. I think that's it. Everyone else either really, really sucks or really cheap. I think think it's accurate. And the article does say the Sox with... 91.97 91.97 million currently committed toward the 2023 payroll have the flexibility to fill their holes. Kennedy said. So yeah, I was just, I'm just looking at Sox payroll and they haven't projected uh, 153.13. Okay. Well, I mean, it could be right. Maybe, maybe Kennedy misquoted it and Rosenthal ran with it, but um, either way, they'll have a chunk of change to, you know, they'll have to figure out a shortstop unless they want to go cheap with that. Uh, go defensively. Well, that'll and... be story. I'm pretty sure if, if Sander don't come back. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm leaning towards he's a second baseman now, unless they think that, you know, his arm is, you know, hundred percent to go back to there. I, I wouldn't move him at the, if he's fine with it, I would keep him at second. Yeah, well, I, it might be easier uh, to identify a second baseman on a one-year deal than than a shortstop. But and I, I think we'll still have Arroyo floating around here and there to to you know fill up the infield a little bit. But you, you might be right. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I'm just thinking about that ninety-seven. I mean. I, there's just outside of sale and story. How do you get there? Oh, Whitlock, I guess. But that's I think dirt cheap for one or two more years before it ticks up. Yeah. Oh, we got Spot all. has him at one thirty. I don't know who that's including or not including for that. I wonder if Bogarts is out of it. Maybe he's not been taken out of. The he's not play. in on. He's not projected on that one thirty on Spot Track. Oh, he's not. Okay. No. All right. Well, we'll see. Yeah, it's weird. We can't. <laughs> we can't really. I doubt they're going to want to exceed it two years in a row. But all right. So uh, let's see. So we got to get into dishonorable mentions now. Uh, I can. I can save you the trouble. It's everybody else. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a couple I want to talk about. Um, Brian Bayo was coming off of a very good, encouraging start against the Blue Jays. You're kind of looking at the Twins, who aren't, like, overly scary, um, you know, as a, another potential step forward. But he only lasts four innings, gives up five hits, three earned runs, walked three as well, only struck out two. So still a little bit of work to go with him. Uh, any thoughts? I thought he looked okay. Um, he's still developing. I'm always encouraged by that changeup. He was sawing guys off. The one he threw on the hands to Correa was a work of art. So, uh, you know, any start where he doesn't get hurt, that's going to be a positive for me. That's one way to look at it. Um, 
I agree with Andrew. He's definitely still developing. When he gets ahead of hitters, he's so dangerous. It's when he falls behind to hitters, he tries to be too perfect. And the ball either gets stung because he leaves it over the plate or it's three inches off the corner. He's trying to pinpoint rather than just throw. And I, I think he could really benefit from repeated repetition. He'll get better with time and knowledge of the strike zone in the big leagues. It's a little bit tighter. Uh, it's definitely more consistent than the minor leagues, um, but it shrinks by about a half an inch on each side of the corner, and that half an inch means a lot when you're facing big league talent. So when he doesn't get that first pitch strike, he, he panics a little bit, and um, he tends to leave stuff over the plate that opposing hitters can drive. That won't stick. The Red Sox will be able to coach that out of him. He does need to work on finishing guys off, though. Um, I'm trying to see. No, Toronto was the series before. He had like seven strikeouts in that outing, I think. Yeah, seven. Yeah, five innings pitched, six hits, two earned runs. Only walked one against Toronto, struck out seven. So, you know, finishing guys off has to be, uh, you know, something that they focus on. Uh, all right. Uh, another guy just terrible, has been terrible recently. Uh, Cutter Crawford, four and one third innings, four hits, four earned runs, uh, walked four as well. That's pretty ugly. Struck out five. I want to say a couple of those, one or two of those runs might have come on the grand slam after Brazier came in. If I'm not mistaken, but either way, um, you're kind of hoping he turns it around because you're we're looking at next year's rotation. And I mean, what's it going to be? I don't know if, if Avaldi's coming back, do you trust him to, to give you 120 innings at this point? You're going to need guys to go innings. And the, the trouble with Waka is maybe his value is going to be higher than what Bloom wants to pay. Cause he's got injury concerns as well. Um, I would rather have Waka of the two of them at this point, but, um, you're going to need bodies in that rotation. And uh, I don't think Crawford is necessarily viable and, uh, Winkowski either for that matter. So, and it's not a great market. It's not a great, I think we're going to look back to last winter where it was a deep market and not snagging one of those guys. I've been harping on uh, Kevin Gosman a lot, but there were other options as well. If, if, if he didn't want to go Gosman, I would have snagged somebody and uh, our expectations of Chris sale might vary a little bit. <laughs> I'm not expecting a lot, but I, I feel like Terry, I, I want to agree with you off instinct, but not a single one of those guys that got paid has really panned out. I mean, none of the guys that last season were the, the big names. The Radon has been okay out in San Francisco. Gosman's been a disaster. The, well, Gosman's really been pretty been good. Unless... That top of the line, you know, talent. Um, and we weren't going to pay a guy in that in that caliber anyway. The next tier down, I mean, Michael Walker's been the best free agent pitching signing in the league this year. Out of anybody that was signed off the free agent market, He's been the most successful on a new team. Well, he missed and, seven or eight weeks, though. I mean, that's 
Uh, it's true. It, it's it's significant. But in twelve of his thirteen starts, he's allowed two runs or fewer. I mean, that's that's a really significant piece as well. So there's a, you know, there's a balancing act, and if you have one healthy, one more healthy starter on this team, if James Paxton comes back and was healthy at some point in the second half, which we know was a long shot, he's meant for next year. If Chris Sale comes back when he made that start and doesn't get hurt a second time, if and even other options, then you're looking at Michael Walker as, as being, you know, missing some time, not being a huge deal. It was a huge deal because everybody on the team missed time at the same time, and you know it, it cost us the season. But M- Michael Walker, even with missing, you know, he missed what seven starts, um, something like he, that. Thirteen well, or fourteen of the best starts, you know, you've had from the any only starts. two guys that you know signed big deals or that were free agents last year, you know, Gosman and Ray. They're the you know only two that are still under contract for next year. You can sign Radon's a free agent. Well, Bayo, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Barrios um, signed. Well, he was not a free agent. No, he signed an. They oh, my out bad. You're season. right. Yeah, yeah, that was a. Yeah. that was. No, so, I mean Radon's gonna be a free agent this year. Um, uh, Noah Syndergaard's gonna be a free agent. You know, this year he could be a good number two, number three guy. I don't know. There's. Gonna be options. Manaya is hitting free agency, coming off a down year. Yeah, I'd stay away from him. But Joe Gosman's been phenomenal, though. I mean, three sixteen ERA. He leads the league right now with strikeout to walk ratio, which is seven point one three. That's insane. Uh, he also leads the league in FIP, which is a little too advanced for me, but. Um, but he's been pitched very well. I mean, he's going to be in the top 10, I think, for Cy Young somewhere. Um, I think there were a couple other guys, though. I don't have the list in front of me. Rodon, I just would have only wanted on a on a one- or two-year deal anyway. But, um, but I just – you can't have a Voldy and Waka back. I think you're really setting yourself up for – a lot of back end guys having to to pitch a lot of innings if, if you were to do something like that. But yeah, I mean, and as I look at it, I mean, Gosman, I know his, his ERA is somewhat low. The reason I say, I mean, his WHIP is you know one two seven. I mean, that's not great. He's allowing more than one base runner an inning every inning. Um, the average star number one pitcher should be in the in the one range and he's significantly above that he's got 10 wins i know wins are an archaic stat but he's only got 10 wins they're not winning games that he pitches uh nine losses Uh, at a certain point you know with the amount of innings he's got under his belt you know 1300 innings already in his career i don't know that i would give him that much money and even if you could go back and sign him three years down the road, you're looking at a Chris Sale situation. Well, I mean, he's been pretty durable, I feel like. And he's only getting paid, I think, $22 million a year over five years. He's on pace to exceed over 200 strikeouts. I'm trying to figure out where he is. And right he'll be 37 years, 37 years old at the end of that contract. That just wasn't something that the Red Sox were going to do. 
I mean, he's he's pitched pretty well the last few years. He's 11th overall right now uh, in MLB. The next guy in front of him, Sandy Alcantara in strikeouts. So, uh, so I don't know. I just think there, there was a number of guys out there. I forgot about Syndergaard uh, being on the market this year, but... I don't know if you trade for anyone. I can't imagine Bloom wants to take a step back with with the farm, you know, this soon anyway. So we'll see. It's going to be a fascinating offseason either way, you know, in, in every single area of the team. Well, all right, so uh, let's get over into studs. Let's see where we are on time. Yeah, we're coming up on an hour, so we'll just spend a, a few minutes on this. Job, who do you have? Well, I've got the only pitcher on the Red Sox who's uh, worth a damn, and I talked about him already a little bit. Michael Walker obviously was fantastic today. I feel like as soon as the bullpen comes in for this team, the game is over, so I, I wish we could play a lot of you know rainouts in the seventh inning, but I really only feel comfortable when Walker is pitching. It's like it's brutal. I mean, I only want to watch the game when it's going to be competitive. And I feel like the Red Sox are only competitive on nights where Walker pitches. That's not to say that I don't watch all the other games too, because I'm a crazy person, but the only game I enjoy watching is the Michael Walker start. Yeah. Walker was great again. Uh, kind of par for the course for how he's been this season. Um, yeah. I couldn't be happier with how he was, you know, pitch tonight and how he's been producing. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty reliable all year long. And the, the strikeouts have consistently been, you know, six to eight strikeouts, a start. So, um, he's never been a, a high strikeout guy over the course of his career. So, um, that's good to see. And I just said that, uh, I, wouldn't mind having him back. I just, what's his value going to be next year? It's not going to be like a Robbie Ray type. I think situation. he's going to be making $14 million next year. Yeah. It's not so much the annual, but how many years is he going to get? Probably two to three. If I had to guess his injuries this year, probably preclude him from getting that fourth year, but I think he'll probably get a three year offer somewhere in the 38 to $40 million range. And so at this point, and Andrew, you can take this one. Is is Bloom gonna think he's worth that? Is he gonna want to commit that to a guy like Walker? I, I doubt it. I I personally wouldn't. I mean, I think you got a pretty good year out of him. I don't know, you know, if it's worth stretching your luck there. The peripherals, if you look deep, aren't phenomenal. So I'd be more than happy to overpay him on a one-year qualifying accepted offer. I I would probably cap it at two years. Uh, I also forgot about James Paxton, but he's a guy that just has all sorts of injuries and upper body, lower body. Uh, I don't know how reliable he's going to be, but, um, you know, another potential guy in the rotation. Uh, okay, Andrew, who's your stud for the series? Mine was Zach Kelly. He finally got the call, looked as advertised, um, got a few strikeouts this series over two innings. 
the changeup was pretty filthy. Everything really moves with his pitches. So it was really good to see a guy that signed for $500. You know, that's how he got his major league start. Uh, just show up and finally realize his dream. Joe. Might be on mute. I am talking on mute. Um, I think Andrew's probably right. I don't know that I would I'd push my luck. And I do think the qualifying offer at what is it, fourteen million this year, Andrew? Uh, for what no, it'll be like eighteen or nineteen, probably. Eighteen. At eighteen I would I would pay that for him for one year. Knowing that you have to bridge the gap until some of these young guys are ready and, and until the Red Sox are ready to compete and hopefully you can bridge the gap until you can get either sale his money somewhat off the books or you can hopefully take pennies on the dollar and ship him off with some prospects because we have a deep enough system and, and bridge the gap that way. But you, you're going to need bodies in this rotation because if you look at the rotation for next year, it's Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo, Cutter Crawford, and I, I think Winkowski, and that's it. And we don't have a number five, and frankly, I'm not sure three of those guys are ready for the big leagues at this point. This I don't. This probably isn't the spot to mention this, but we're looking at a long winter here. One of my themes that I'm not going to come off of is I think Chris Sale just ought to be put in the bullpen and maybe you kind of solve a problem there. Is it going to be goofy to have him in there making 30 million a year? Yeah. You know, David Price is doing the same thing basically out in uh, Los Angeles. But I think if you want to get a decent amount of innings out of Sale, it's going to have to be in that role. And I, I, you know, getting back to Zach Kelly as well, I, I mean, it's it's nice to see. I don't know if the league's going to have enough time to catch up with him once they see the tapes and, you know, how to attack him because we know this is a hardcore analytical league and eventually they do catch up. I think that happened to Matt Strom this year. The dude was just lights out and, you know, is hasn't been terrible since then, but has been grinding a little bit. So we'll kind of see what he's made of. He is, I think, 27 years old. So kind of up there uh, as far as making your major league debut. But any thoughts on that? You guys can weigh in on the sale thing. Tell me I'm nuts, but I'm not coming off of that. We good? Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't ever move Sale back there into the bullpen until you know he forces your hand. I just there's too much invested at that point. I think that's what's going to happen, though. I think we're going to lose five to seven games. He's going to get shelled, probably hurt again. You know, there would probably be a a de- uh, injured list stint similar to what Whitlock went through, and I just think that's ultimately what's going to happen and. How how agonizing do we want to make it? I think Chris Sale could pull a Dennis Eckersley. Uh, I think he could be a really good bullpen pitcher, not to say that he's going to be 
you know, anywhere near the ballpark with Dennis Eckersley. I just mean that he could transition to the bullpen fairly cleanly. I don't know if he would like that. If the team is losing, I'm sure he would hate it. Um, but he's got to know that this is probably his last big money deal based on the injuries. And I think if the team was competitive, I think he would be okay being the closer because he's a competitor and he wants to win. And him and Jonathan Papabon have that same crazy look in their eye about winning. I really think that he would make that transition, but only if the team was competitive. And I don't think they will be. You're writing off the 2023 Red Sox already? Any team that has Heim Bloom at the helm, I'm writing them off. <laughs> I mean, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm not I'm not writing them off just yet. But sign Rafi Devers, I'm back on board. And I'm very str- I'm very like straightforward on this. If you sign Rafi Devers, then I'm okay with you. It's just that's how it works. It's gonna happen. As of now, I mean, as of now, you know, fans are clamoring to pay Xander Bogarts, pay Nate Evaldi, pay Michael Walker. Pays the bars. They want the same team that spent the entire year on the injured list. I, I'm not asking for that. And let Xander walk. Let him go to Detroit or the Cubs or one of these other teams that's going to pay him a boatload of money to be the face of their franchise and maybe compete. Maybe. But I would really like to have the next guy and that's that's why i say that and i think this team is not going to improve they're going to take steps back all right let's focus on the now <laughs> i think we've gone way too you're, much you're, you're right we have an entire let's... winter for me to play doomsday i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> i went down the, the rabbit hole all right in my defense on the starring pitching thing um there was also marcus stroman which i would have hated by the way but he was out there uh, Eduardo Rodriguez might not have went well because he is back, by the way, uh, and I think pitching okay. Uh, Alex Wood as well. So there, there were other you know moves they they could have made. Then there were some doozies. I guess Descalfani had a had a terrible uh, year, and um, there was one or two other ones in there that I pro- oh Stephen Matz. Matz was terrible. Yeah. Wood's been terrible. Yeah, all those. I mean, San Francisco's season's been terrible. Too. I think Wood's only been bad his last couple of starts, though. He's he's got a five ten ERA in one hundred thirty innings. Yeah, I, but I mean, he got I don't know rock for six or seven uh, runs, I think, in that last start. But I I would have been curious to see what a guy like him would have looked like on our program. Well. But- he was re-signing with San Francisco anyways. I, that was kind of just predetermined. He, he was there last year. Yeah, well, he was. Uh, all right, so uh, my uh, stud for this series, we won't spend a ton of time. I, I could have went with Xander, who had a bigger series, but Trevor Story was also 6 for 12, and I think that's pretty damn impressive. For uh, you know the type of injury he had, and he's basically come back and and almost looked as good as he did during that that run he was on. He he does is not hitting the home runs, but um, seems unfazed and seems to be into a bit of a rhythm. 
And um, I'm happy to see it because I was a big proponent for bringing this guy in, and I don't want to be eating crow a year from now. Um, I'm not going to compare him to, uh, you know, a certain Tampa player we signed that didn't pan out. But um, I liked what I saw. Six for 12 on the series and uh, was three for three in uh, the first game with a walk. So he was on base uh, four times. And um, we desperately need a guy like him, you know, somewhere in the, you know, five to six hole. So thoughts on story? Well, it was good to see him back. It's good to see him swing good bat. Um, I know Andrew feels this way, but... I also feel like this is a very different season if he doesn't get hurt. Um, I don't know if we're probably still not in the playoffs with all the other injuries, but I don't think we would be writing this team off just yet. And and instead I I wrote them off two weeks ago. So it was good to see him back and healthy. I hope that next year when he's your starting shortstop, he's productive and healthy. But for now, at least in the present moment, it looked like that wrist injury is finally healed. Yeah, it definitely would have been a different, at least a different outcome. You know, they'd probably be battling for one of the wild card spots. Um, thanks, Red Sox stats on Twitter here for this little tidbit. Before he got hurt, his per 600 plate appearance numbers uh, were 29 doubles, 26 home runs, 88 runs scored, 100 driven in, and 20 stolen bases. So, you know, that's pretty remarkable, especially considering – the beginning to the season that he had where, you know, he signed as late as he possibly could. And then was just, I mean, almost hospitalized bedridden uh, from food poisoning for about a week. So um, I'm excited for him to have a full off season. I think you know, we'll see a completely different player. Um, yeah, I've watched plenty of him out here in Denver for years Yeah, he is a hell of an athlete. And, you know, this is one of those guys that's just a catalyst. All right, let's just get through the Texas series here. It's actually a four-game set. Um, Sweep. <laughs> we, we don't have to get too into it. We got Glenn Otto, who has a 479 ERA on the season versus Rich Hill. And this is a home series, so weigh that into your pick. But, Andrew, how do you have this one? Um, I've seen Glenn Otto get lit up before. I think Rich Hill had something going last time. Hopefully he can build on it this time. I, I like the Red Sox chances. Struck out 11. Joe? Uh, I hope Rich Hill has something left in the tank. I love watching Rich Hill pitch. Um, it, it's really fun to watch, uh, when he, especially when he's going like he was last week. I think the Red Sox win this one. I don't think it's close. I'm picking Texas. I don't think he can uh, pull another rabbit out of the hat. Uh, this next matchup uh, is somewhat favorable, although I I think Dallas Keuchel, uh, I thought he had a good start against us earlier in the season for Chicago DFA'd him, but he is trotting out his uh, 8.84 ERA against Nick Pavetta, who kind of took a step backwards in his last start. And this is this is Keiko's third team this year, by the way. He did have a cup of coffee with Arizona. His old pitching coach was out there, Brent Strom. But Andrew, how do you have this one? 
Um, uh, this would be the last game I would let Bobby Dalbach play and then send him to Worcester after he hits three home runs off of Dallas Keuchel at his 76-mile-an-hour fastball. Is he? Is it? He's got it up that high? It's <laughs> <laughs> Wakefield ass now it is. I am I'm very excited to watch this game because I think it will remind us uh, that some of the players on this team don't suck and, you know, refreshing cup of coffee that is winning series uh, starts here. I think we win game two. I will also pick the Red Sox to win this one. Keiko was just so good in that 2015 season and he pitched the wild card game against the Yankees. Who was the Japanese guy they had? Wow, I already Tanaka? forgot his name. Tanaka, yes. That was the matchup, and uh, Keiko, uh, you know, put together a good game. So did uh, did us Red Sox fans a, a solid that game, but I'm taking Pavetta. Um, TBD for Texas on Saturday. That's a 4-10 start, if anyone's wondering, against Brian Bayo. Who do you got, Andrew? I like Bayo. Um, I yeah, I, I really like him. I think he could probably have a field day with this lineup. It's a similar, you know, type of lineup to Toronto. Like, maybe not quite as robust, but... I think there's a lot more swing and miss, though, up and down that lineup. There could be. Yeah, absolutely. Job, how do you see that one going? Agreed. A lot of swing and miss. I think Bayo's change up will eat these guys for lunch. I think his best career start is coming this week. I would love to see it. I'll uh, I'll take the Red Sox in that one as well. And then I think we have their ace, if you want to call him that, uh, Dane Dunning going on Sunday against Cutter Crawford. Andrew? Hard to pick a four-game sweep, so just, you know, by default, got to pick uh, Texas in this one. Well, this is Texas's number two. Terry, let me let me just point out that Martin Perez is their number. Oh one. crap, that's right. You know, uh, good old pal Martin Perez. I really wanted to face him in this series because Lord knows that he was terrible at Fenway. True. But yeah. I, I think this is the toughest game to pick. Um, with Bayo probably getting piggybacked to Whitlock, I'm going to have to say the Red Sox lose Game Four because. It's the C squad in the bullpen. Yeah, I just I can't take Cutter Crawford at this point. I mean, he just shows no indication he's onto something as far as turning around that uh, that nosedive he's on. So, and uh, apologies to Martin Perez, uh, who did pitch very well against us in the earlier series of the year. I think he went five or six innings and. Uh, might have only given up a run or two, um, but I think Dane Dunning is gonna is gonna um, get thumped less hard than uh, Cutter Crawford will. So we will wrap on that. We'll be back on Sunday. I think we got the normal crew uh, for that show. So we'll uh, talk about what did happen against the Texas Rangers at Fenway. Uh, we'll be into the month of September, so this is the start of the final stretch. Everybody have a good weekend. Take care.